There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Readers recommend. So with us in the studio today, Sarah Hamdan, welcome back. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. So you are editor at Think with Google, um, ex-writer for New York Times and the culture and business section for this region and travel blogger at holidaysinheels.com. Perfect. Anything that I've missed that you'd like to add? You're getting everyone's titles correct today. Tell me the travel one. I love that. Yes, Holidays and Heels. I started it three or four years ago. And um, it actually happened when I wasn't traveling because I just had a baby. So the next best thing is writing about travel and books that I love to read because that's like traveling in your mind without moving anywhere. Exactly. Amazing, amazing. But I see you have flat shoes on. Yes, I know. That's the reality. (laughs) You're bursting my bubble. (laughs) She was trying to paint this picture, Isabel, and you just burst it on the radio. So we're going to start, speaking of flats, um, I know that you haven't got very far into the book, um, but we've... I think you've started it as well, Isabel. Yes, I love it. I love it. And I just want to mention it because it's it's a book that promises a lot. A line like Sleepless in Seattle for the 21st century is a bold statement. But so far, what is the feel that we're getting from the writing from The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary? And what is it about? Right. So um, uh, she has these wonderful friends, one who's a lawyer and one who's something else. And she goes to look at these increasingly horrendous uh, flats or rooms to, to share with and in the end is going to be almost bed sharing with someone because she can't afford anything else um, and that's the bit where I am but um, her she's working for a publishing uh, company and the publishing company uh, produce craft knitting crochet things um, and it's a ni- to a niche audience so this is her this is her where she works and she just says I love working here This is the only possible explanation for the fact that I have been assistant editor for three and a half years, earning below the London living wage and have made no attempt to rectify the situation by, say, applying for a job in a publishing house that actually makes money. Gertie, that's one of her friends, likes to tell me that I lack ambition, but it really isn't that. I just love this stuff. As a child, I spent my days reading or tinkering with my toys until they suited me better. Dip dyeing Barbie's hair, pimping up my JCB truck, and now I read and craft for a living. Well, not really a living as such, but a bit of money, just about enough to pay tax. So, so it's told in her voice and with these friends, and I immediately fell in love with her. You know, I can see her. The author has done an amazing job of giving us a view of this lady. She works, she's young, she works in London, she's working for something she has a passion with, and I can identify with that, and I know you can too. And um, it's in publishing, and it's about books, and so what is there not to love? Um, And I think it's going to be extremely um, fun to keep going. And I like the sleeping in Seattle, sleepless in Seattle sort of um, wave. It doesn't need that. I think she's got a great craft, the creator, the writer of this book. She really knows how to tell a story. I agree with you completely. <clears throat> so what struck me right off the bat is it's very relatable. We've all looked for our apartments and then not found the perfect situation. There's things we love and things we don't love about it. So in a way, she's all of us. 
And who hasn't gone for their dream? And, you know, for her, it's being around the world of publishing and books and uh, accepted less than ideal circumstances because it just brings them joy. So I think the writer's done a really great job of developing these real characters, people that we can relate to. The part that I'm having a little bit of a hard time with is this idea that she finds this wonderful apartment, but... The caveat is she needs to share a bed with somebody. But then I think, you know what? They work different hours. So it's a a nurse who... um, Nine to five. Yes. So she works night times. And then um, so... So she sleeps when um, our main character is at work, uh, Mm -hmm. is at work. And then as she comes back from work, the other one is going to work. So... Um, it's quite a sort yeah, of yeah. Because she has a regular nine to five, and so she is out of the house during the day, and that's when he sleeps. And yes. then when she gets back, he's already gone to yes. work. So they occupy the same flat. It's such a cute concept. Yeah, and then, and then they communicating don't meet each other. via post-it notes. Yeah. yeah, so it is something that you can imagine. It makes you smile just thinking about mm. it. It does. So. It does. It's so. It's so sort of um, endearing. Almost, it, it is really endearing, and actually, you can believe in it. It doesn't sound that far fetched. I'm sure these kind of things. Um, in reality happen all the time which is what I was going to say so at first it kind of jars you but then you think no actually this is a situation that really could apply to many people anyone who lives in a busy city and wants to be part of that buzz and that vibe Uh, and at the same time I, I know we speak about this theme a lot but loneliness so again it just tackles this very big topic that's on everyone's minds and I just think it's a really relevant book. And mm. in an age when there are so many, you know, rom-com style books out and this type of genre, it's amazing that this has generated so much talk already. Speaking of loneliness, the last, last time you were on the show, we spoke about Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And that's a really strong theme in that book. And I know that we were saying that it's a great book in its own right. And you see things like Sleepless in Seattle for the 21st century because, you know, they have to relate it to something for, for marketing purposes. But another reference that kept crom- cropping up was Ellen Oliphant is completely fine. It's a completely different story, but d- it does share this idea that loneliness can be crippling. Can't and it's, it? it's been told through... Um, the, sort of the main character's voice and you know she's she's been in a relationship and you know she's been poorly treated and this she she just realizes that she's got to actually get out of the that tunnel and start her own life and this is the beginning of it and she's limited by the funds that she has you know very common um general normal thing for young people um working and particularly in big cities and um, in the way that Eleanor Oliphant is absolutely fine, captures the spirit of, of that person. I think this writer's done the same. And I'm really looking forward to um, reading more of it. So Beth O'Leary, this is her debut novel. And if you want some a heartwarming moment, you can actually go onto her Twitter page because she's got a video of her opening her book for the first time, unboxing it. And it's the most moving thing. And we've seen them done before where authors have been excited, but she properly actually breaks down into tears. And she said, I wasn't sure if I wanted to show this because it's slightly embarrassing, but I am that happy and excited about the fact that my novel has been published. And it is is honestly one of the most beautiful things that I've seen this week. And it's so lovely. And it made me immediately want to just go out and buy the book to support the writer. Mm. I think that's a great example because that warmth and candor is what you find in her books. In her yes, book, yeah. with her characters. There's so. another little bit here. I'll quickly, if we've got a moment yeah, to read yes. it. So um, she's in this office and there's always someone that you 
want to dislike. Martin turns on me. I like your shoes, he says with a charming smile. I shudder. I can't stand Martin from PR. <laughs> he says things like, let's action that in meetings and clicks his fingers at Ruby, who is a marketing exec, but who Martin seems to think is his personal assistant. He's only 23, but has decided it will further his merciless pursuit of seniority if he can seem older than he is. So he always puts on this awful jocular voice and tries to talk to our MD about golf. The shoes are excellent, though. They're purple Doc Martin style boots with white lilies painted on them, and they took me most of Saturday. My crafting and customising has really upped since Justin left. Thanks, Martin, I say, already attempting to sidle back to the security of my desk. I mean, you get it. You can see those Doc Martin boots that she's she's painted her own special thing on. I love her. So if you like the sound of that, the book that we are talking about and recommending you might want to pick up is The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary. But now we're moving on to some nonfiction. What's the first book that you'd like to recommend? So the first book is called An American Princess, The Many Lives of Aline Too. And I have a bit of a confession to make. So I'm a big bookworm. Uh, my happy place is a bookstore. But consistently, my husband is the one that buys the books that I end up reading that I fall in love with and come on the show to talk about. <laughs> so, really? So he's the one who discovered this one as well as the other two that I'll be talking about later. So this is a biography. So what is it that he manages to pick out that you don't? I have absolutely no idea. He just knows me really well. <laughs> I don't know. Better than you know yourself. I think so. I mean, I'm very much a fiction girl. I love to be taken to a different world, a fake one, try to see, visualize another writer's imagination. But these three books that we're going to talk about are nonfiction, either memoirs or biographies, and he chose them for me, and they're great. Before we carry on, we've had a text message in from Dilip who says, one can be alone but not feel lonely. It relates to the book that we were just discussing, The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary. That's very true. You can also be feel lonely in a crowd full of people as well, can't you, Isabel? And never lonely if you've got a good book. So this American Princess book, who is Aline to? I mean, I've never heard of her before. I'd never heard of her either. Uh, and I think what sold it for me is when I started reading, she really sounded like a modern, or not a modern day, but a real life Scarlett O'Hara. So um, she was this rural farm girl who, you know, it describes her as this girl who grew up um, living in a very rural farm-like area. And then she falls in love with a Rockefeller type, uh, Teddy Hotstetter. She marries him and then things fall apart, marries the next gentleman who's very even wealthier. Things fall apart again a fourth time. Things fall apart and then eventually marries a European prince. So she actually was one of the richest women in America for a long time and ended up being royalty. So who is the author of this book? I'm not going to attempt to pronounce <laughs> her name because it's a very difficult Dutch one. Um, Annette van der Ziel, Ziel, Ziel. Um, and... I have to say that sometimes it's really difficult to have uh, read works that are translated from other languages, but there's something about the Dutch way of speaking and I'm assuming writing that's very direct and bold and I really enjoyed it in this. So there, it wasn't that like fluffy descriptive writing that can drag on. Um, it felt snappy and short, almost like I was watching a Netflix uh, s series and I just wanted to binge watch the next pages. How is she, because those are the bare facts of her marriages and she, she becomes, she goes from rural farm girl to European royalty. As a character, as a personality, is she painted in a favorable light or does she come across as quite calculating? 
I think at that time, for a woman to make a lot of money, the only way if you come from a certain background is either to marry somebody very rich or to inherit from your father, let's say. Um, because we didn't, they didn't have the same opportunities when it came to education or taking part in the workforce. So for her, it was more of um, not calculating, but ability to move on. Like She didn't dwell when sadness came her way and when life threw these traumas at her. So in one instance, it shows that uh, she married the love of her life the second time around. They had a beautiful 14-year marriage. They had a child. Both of them ended up dying. And she was able to move on from that and find love again a few years later. And it just shows this incredible, resilient human spirit. I actually found it very uplifting. Um, and it's backed up by all of these pieces that were in the New York Times at the time about her life, about her appearing, you know, in the society pages, that kind of thing. So it just it paints her as a real person. So they have these the real texts the alongside the description and the biography. Exactly. So newspaper headlines and little snippets. Uh, it's like watching a documentary, but R reading it. Remind us of the title again. An American Princess, The Many Lives of Aline Tu. I like the name Aline. I hadn't heard that before. No, it's a very unusual name. Uh, who would you recommend this to? I'd recommend it to somebody who enjoys a little bit of uh, gossip, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, enjoys female-driven lead stories. Uh, so it's very much woman-centric. So say. the next book that you have to recommend for us is a an autobiography by someone who is a little more familiar to us. What do you have? You may have heard of this person. Maybe. Unless you've been living under a rock. Um, so this is Michelle Obama's uh, memoir. It's called Becoming. And I was reading about it to prepare before I came here. I was saying that it's actually done better than Barack Obama's two books. And within 15 days, it became the, the number one selling book in the US. Uh, so it's done really well. I think it speaks to her appeal and how approachable she seems, very down to earth, a great public speaker, but at the same time, this deeply intelligent person. You know, she went to Princeton. She went from the south side of Chicago, which is kind of a, a rough part of town, ended up through her own, you know, intellect at uh, Princeton and then Harvard Law and then this really amazing law firm she just worked her way up and then supportive mother and wife and just these different roles. It's an incredible, incredible book. I'd recommend this to everybody. I can remember when um, there, there must have been a book launch somewhere and Barack Obama was with her, perhaps it was in America. And he said, and I just loved it. He said, I am Michelle Obama's husband. And it was just he's you can't help but, you know, love that kind of that kind of thing where where uh, he was very happy to be known as her husband. And we had that um, going back to Abu Dhabi Book Fair. We had Ziauddin Yousafzai, um, the father of Malala Yousafzai, the Nobel laureate for peace. And he said um, Malala used to be known as his daughter. He's now known as her father and how proud he is of it. So I've sort of had two instances where where um, males take great pride in the females in their lives. And I think this is, this is, you know, this is wonderful. And she has got an incredible story on her own of what she has done and what she's achieved. And um, I wonder if we will see her as president somewhere, sometime. I think that's everyone's secret hope. I think that's why the book is also so popular. But um, she's... You know, she's qualified, she's well-spoken. And to your point, she's um, got a beautiful example of what a nice family 
dynamic looks like. Um, always kind of putting their children first, but still focusing on their own identities, each one of them as parents. So, you know, I, I would love to be able to have that. I love my kids. Hi, Adam and Serene. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's also great to just be your own person, to be proud of what you've done and to have that kind of purpose going on in life the same way that you do. She said um, that the memoir is not about arriving somewhere, but about evolving, which I think you can tell from the title, Becoming. Um, and I think that's probably why it resonates with so many readers. Obviously, it's been bought because they're already fans of Michelle Obama. But it's really important to note that idea that we don't just turn up ready. Like it takes work. It takes a lot of effort. And I think that's a really nice thought to have championed by someone like Michelle at a time when we're actively rejecting perfection and flawlessness is you know gradually being revealed to be you know it's not authentic at all it's not the reality and I think people are embracing more and more real stories of real lives of actually it takes effort it takes work exactly I mean you could have a blog called holidays and heels but be wearing flats all the time <laughs> so there are different realities um the opening actually begins with her discussing about um she dislikes the question posed to children what do you want to be when you grow up she, she said um when when she was a kid I'll just read the first little bit when I was a kid my aspirations were simple I wanted a dog I wanted a house that had stairs in it two floors for one family I wanted, for some reason, a four-door station wagon instead of the two-door Buick that was my father's pride and joy. I used to tell people that when I grew up, I was going to be a paediatrician. Why? Because I loved being around little kids and I quickly learned that it was a pleasing answer for adults to hear. Oh, a doctor. What a good choice. In those days, I wore pigtails and bossed my older brother around and managed always, and no matter what, to get A's at school. I was ambitious, though I didn't know exactly what I was shooting for. Now I think it's one of the most useless questions an adult can ask a child. What do you want to be when you grow up? As if growing up is finite, as if at some point you become something and that's the end. What a brilliant beginning to, to becoming. She really is a beautiful writer. I mean, as if she needed more things to be great at. She's already wonderful stylist for herself. And, you know, she's just a beautiful, beautiful writer. What did you want to be when you grew up? I think I have a record. If you were that child, if you were the same child, what, what can you remember what you wanted to be? I loved reading. I, I used to say I wanted to be a writer. Okay. Annabelle, when you grew up, what did you want to be? I don't 100% remember, but it... I remember wanting to be a mermaid. Okay, that's good enough. But one of the things that I did do an awful lot was, and it was very natural to me, was I would create things like fashion catalogues. I think maybe I wanted to be a fashion designer. I would create these little fashion catalogues with all these drawings, and on the front it would say sizes 1 to 51, <laughs> all welcome. So I think I, I was maybe a budding fashion designer. A very mm. inclusive one. A very inclusive uh, budding fashion design and I would polish off a play before breakfast but as you well. were creative I was. so it showed mm. in both yeah. what mm. about you I wanted to be a mummy you know so that was okay the hardest job of all <laughs> no but that's really what I aspired to be and um, uh, um, I don't I mean I wanted to be a teacher because I was incredibly bossy but <laughs> you know as a child you know you know that Annabelle I'm going to say it on air I'm bossy in the nicest possible way so being a teacher and being a mummy gives you <laughs> up lunch to be bossy <laughs> doesn't it yeah but michelle obama coming back to michelle obama um 
she's such an intelligent lady and it comes through in her writing in a very it's her book is so accessible to anyone she's not writing in sort of you know using you know four syllable words and trying to prove herself she's writing so we can as a reader understand where she's coming from i have a friend who isn't um he doesn't he doesn't like to read a lot and he was saying i'd rather just wait until this inevitably becomes a movie or a tv show and i was saying that's a real shame because when you read the way she writes you're hearing her voice and it really is that kind of inside look at what's going on in her head and what happened in her life without these um you know if it were a movie or something filmed without these cameras or this forced you know the makeup and the look and the preparation in the way I think this is as real as it gets, and you can feel it. I mean, when you read the reviews on um, any platform, if you were going to buy this book, you'd see everyone just is shocked by her honesty. It's really refreshing. I think the thing about reading that is different from a film, so when you come to a book, there is an intimate relationship between the writer and the reader, and you bring your half to it, and the writer gives you the other half. When you go to a film, it is the writer the screenplay plus the director's vision so you're there as a you're just watching you're not part of that you know we will take away something different and that's what you always have to remember when you um, read a book it is such an intimate relationship it does it feels like an intimate conversation and that's not something that I think a couple of films have managed to achieve that but overall I completely agree I think it's a very special um, thing that you have from reading a book and finally I think we need to talk about the book that you're going to recommend on the show today. Uh, we've spoken about on talking of books, I think, about a year ago. And I keep recommending to absolutely everyone I know, whether they read, whether they don't read, male, female, all generations, I've been recommending this book. What is it? It's called Educated by Tara Westover. And I cannot stop talking about this book. Um, I can't, I couldn't put it down, first of all. I think I finished it in two or three days flat, which when you work and have kids is no mean, easy feat. Um, and it's just something, it's a book that I really feel is transformative. It changes you. Um, I wouldn't have picked this up normally. I don't think it's really my type of book. I mentioned earlier, it's, I love fiction. My husband chose this for me and could not put it down. It's so beautifully written. I mean, that kind of writing that can't be taught. It was I loved it. Published February last year, and I just constantly kept seeing it on best books of 2018. But like you say, it it's one of those books that stays with you. I'm still thinking about it. And I, I read it a year ago, and I still remember some of the turns of phrase and the journey that she went on. And I think what was phenomenal about it is that there's a, so, there's a total lack of bitterness and it's not what you would expect. I think anyone else writing this story or experiencing this, you would just expect them to be so angry with everything that their family put her through, but she's not. Um, to catch our listeners up, if they're not familiar with exactly what happens in Educated, it's a memoir about Tara Westover. What's her basic journey? So she's uh, part of a family that has a very unique way of looking at life. Um, her father, very devout, and also has this idea that the end of days are coming. And as a family, they spend their days preparing for this end of day where they're preparing jam and hiding it under, you know, in these bunkers and hiding guns and um they don't believe in anything related to the government. They don't believe in hospitals. They don't believe in schools. So she didn't have a birth certificate, no vaccinations, no medical records, um, no formal schooling. It's, it's really like they lived in a mountain 
sheltered completely in this bubble from life, almost like an, an alien experience. And then slowly the outside world began to knock on her door. And this, you know, she was able to be open to this change of mindset. And I don't want to give the entire story away, but it, it does say on the back. Um, she makes her way to a PhD at Cambridge, very educated, now does a lot of public speaking, and is just a stunning writer. I've read very few works like this in my I get goosebumps just talking about it. Um, I've read very few works like this. And I think, to your point, it's not a bitter story. It's actually rather uplifting to see how she embraces her new world. Um, it's extremely honest about subjects that are painful to talk about. And painful, I think, is a very, you know, underestimated way of talking about it. Um, and it's just a transformational book. Isabel, uh, what, did, what did you love so much about this? Because I know you I, like this book. I absolutely loved it. I haven't finished it, um, but I'm. it's going to be a two-day read. I just have to get through it. I have to get to the end now. I would agree with you, Annabelle, about the total lack of bitterness and that's why it's such an uplifting and moving memoir is is because there's no bitterness from her side and yes she was denied schooling and denied healthcare and things like that but she had lots of other experience in in her life and I think when she calls it educated she's looking at um different ways that we could formulate what education means her mother was a, uh, trained as a self-taught midwife, a herbalist. Um, the father would tell them stories because they had no TV, no access to the outside world about other families who had supposedly been attacked by the federal authorities and um, terrible things. I'm just thinking this little child, because she was the youngest, hearing these stories um, obviously would believe them. Why wouldn't she? She had no way of knowing they weren't true. And then the grandmother offering her an, uh, an exit and her waking up, not sleeping through the night, seeing her grandmother's car drive away. And just being in her skin, I think this is what Tara Westover does so well. It is, as a reader, that you are inside her and you're sort of not understanding but understanding how she is, you know, getting through each day, how she's making those kind of decisions. And the, 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 the mountain, the princess that, you know, is such an amazing backdrop to her life. Um, what an incredible human being is all I would say. She's also, and, carry on. No, go ahead. I was going to say it's an amazing story to tell because it's so complex and there's this amazing arc of what happens with her. But it's also that the writing is so beautiful that she knows when to let the story take the foreground and when to let the writing kind of beautify what's happened. So for me, it was just so many different elements that made this book amazing because, you know, it could have been told really simply and still been profound, but it's also the writing. So I, I just had to point that out. Yeah, it, it is the most phenomenal book. And like you say, if if you're after because I prefer fiction most of the time. Me too. But I got the same connection with some of the most memorable fiction books I've read with this memoir. And it's not something that I often find with memoir. It's not my most preferred genre. But like you say, the writing is so beautiful that you, it's hard, you have to pinch yourself sometimes and remind yourself that it's actually a true story. Um, Frank McCourt's Angela's Ashes. I was so reminded of that. One of my favourite books of all time because it is the person telling their story. And for me... That 
gives you everything about fiction and more because it's real. And um, that's what I think um, both of them uh, have have so beautifully told. Agreed, as well as Shantaram. I'd say that's, you know, it was quite long and convoluted, but I'd put that in the same bucket because it's such a strange and unique story. And the writing is really beautiful, poetic uh, parts. Uh, and again, can't be taught. I think that style. Um, she's also, Tara Westover is also a wonderful speaker in interviews as well, because obviously when this book came out, everybody wanted to talk to her about it. This is what she had to say about her father's belief system. I don't quite know why he had these beliefs. I mean, I think he's a bit paranoid about things. So he just developed these ideas about doctors and hospitals and the government. He was kind of concerned that they'd been taken over by some kind of nefarious organization, the Illuminati, the New World Order. He called it a lot of things. And the beliefs were really sincerely held. I mean, and he had a junkyard, so we would get injured quite a bit. And then we wouldn't get medical care. And I think for people, it's hard to understand that he wasn't trying to cause us pain. It's not that he didn't care about us. He really believed that that was the right way to treat these kinds of injuries, like when my brother's leg was lit on fire and it was covered in third-degree burns and we treated that at home. I mean, that's something that we haven't actually spoken about yet was everything that happened in the junkyard. Her and her six siblings, I believe, they all had to work in the father's scrapyard and awful accidents like this would happen. But it's like she says in that interview... She, there is no bitterness, there is no anger because she's basically explaining that yes, it may seem odd and awful to us but that was her parents' version of caring and that was what they thought was the best for their children. She's able to empathize in a really beautiful mm. way with somebody who, you know, to the outside world might seem like he's coming up with these, you know, she mentions it, crazy ideas mm. um, but she still remains empathetic to the point of loving you know, saying, no, but this was just his way of dealing with these issues and almost not blaming him for being wired in a way that made him think differently to other people. Even though to us, the um, situation that he was putting his children in was, you know, you would want to call child services and mm. make sure that <laughs> the kids are okay. Um, and there was a car accident scene that was really powerful and how it affected the mother and still they didn't go to the hospital. So it just... Each time there were these examples that were standout and you want to shake this person by the shoulders and say, come on, you know, you're lucky this person didn't die. They need medical attention. But to him, it was almost, you know, an act of divine intervention that should solidify the faith even more. And she got that and she didn't blame him for it. And it's so loving. Can you be more loving than that? Do you have that in you? I don't, I don't know. There must have been something very good in her childhood for her, for her, you know, in spite of everything um, from the outside looking in, there has to be some element that, that she was able to, to grow into this amazing person and have written this book. You know, that has to come from somewhere. And I think a lot of it is the environment of the mountain and where she grew up and uh, the opportunity she had because she was not in school to actually watch in the minute detail of what happened on the mountain in the different seasons and um, no interference in terms of TV and things like that. Um, you know, it obviously profoundly affected her um, and the way that she can see things that when our lives are full, sometimes we don't have that depth of, um, of, of vision. 
And I think when she was so deprived of so many things that we take for granted, the little things that were thrown her way were big deals. Like the fact that she had a beautiful singing voice and she saw how proud her father was when she was, you know, the lead singer and the choir. Uh, it, it's very moving to see that. I wanted to go on YouTube and check clips of her singing. Mm -hmm. I have to do that. Um, we're going to leave it there. The book that we were just talking about was uh, Educated by Tara Westover. Can you remind us of some of the other books that you talked about earlier as well for anybody who's just tuning in? So at the beginning, we opened with um, The Flat Share, which is a new rom-com. And then we have uh, An American Princess, which is a biography. Uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming and Educated by Tara Westover, my book of the year. Mine too. Um, thank you so much, uh, Sarah Hamdan, for joining us and sharing all your recommendations with us. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.